Hey, I'm glad you guys are here tonight. My name is Ricardo, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, for the past week and a half, I've been out of town in New York City uh, for, someone said, woo, that place is uh, never a place I'd ever want to live, but a lot of fun. I was actually uh, there for a class for my master's, and uh, someone was like, oh, you're getting a master's? I'm like, yeah, I'm on my fourth year in the two-year program, so it's not really that, that, that big of a deal. But it was good to come back, and what, what, was, um, what was evident while I was gone is how much I really miss this place and how much I miss the guys in whom I work with. Like, I know I like the guys, but it was one of those things where I'm like, Lord, do I really love these guys? And then, and then I came back, and this morning... Um, since I was gone for about a week and a half, I didn't really have a lot of clean laundry, and so I wore what I wore to a wedding the night before, and it was like, you know, a sweater and like a collared shirt coming out of the sweater. I thought it looked good, and the guys were like, oh, wow, go to New York City, and you come back distinguished. Where's your printed plaid? I'm back. So just wanted, to make, just wanted to make sure that, you know, nothing's changed. Listen, we have been continuing our series on 1 Thessalonians, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to start there tonight in chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, won't you guys meet me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it held high, and one of the guys will be able to get you a Bible. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Please keep it. And, and if you do own one but you forgot it, um, just go ahead. No, no need to be shy. Raise your hand, and then you'll be able to get a Bible to use today, and you can drop it off on the shelf on your way out. Um, like I said, as we continue in this series, we uh, titled this series, In Light of His Coming. And in light of his coming, it speaks to the nature that Jesus Christ is coming back. And in just a few weeks, we are going to begin a season um, that's in the church calendar called Advent. And what Advent was, the first Advent was when the, pe- the people of God, the Jewish people, they waited for the arrival of the Messiah. And then Christmas came and Jesus Christ was born. And so now as Christians, we wait for the second coming of which God himself will come in the work and through the work of Jesus to rescue and renew all of creation. And so it's a time in the calendar where we begin to reflect on what ought we to be doing as Christians until Jesus comes back. And so this letter of 1 Thessalonians that Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes speaks to that. And more more clearly, in chapter 2, Paul speaks specifically in what, as Christians, those who believe in Jesus, ought to be doing. And so in verses 12, excuse me, 1 through 1 through 12, Paul lays out an example of what he did when he was with the people of Thessalonica. In essence, what he's saying, what we ought to be doing in light of the return of Jesus is discipleship. And and, and discipleship is a loaded term that that we follow Jesus and people follow us as we follow Jesus. But Paul gives us here a clear example of, of how to disciple. And so three things we're going to look at here. He gives us the message of discipleship. He gives us the means or the motivation of discipleship. And then lastly, he gives us the methods. So the message, the motivation, and he gives us the methods. So before we jump in, will you guys bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to bless our time? Father, we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for the work that, um, that you're already doing. And God, we thank you as a church that we're able to partner with ministries like Rio Vista Center to bless them during this, this time of Thanksgiving. And God, as we come to your word... God, I pray that you would take our minds, our emotion, our intellect, our desires, and God, you would raise our affection for your son, Jesus. God, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would lead, you would guide. And as we talk about something, Lord, that is, as Christians, Lord, we talk about often, I pray that you'd bring conviction, I pray that you bring clarity, I pray that you would use the words of my mouth, Lord, to glorify your name. And so, Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit in this moment to teach us and to illuminate the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there's, there's a couple ways when you look at discipleship. For, first and foremost, I believe, we believe that discipleship doesn't start at conversion, but it starts at relationship. So in essence, when people who are not Christians look at people who are Christians, they should look at them and get an example of what their life would look like if they were Christians. 
And so if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you would say you don't believe in Jesus, the way that you could look at this message and hear this message is to think, okay, what would my life look like if I became a Christian, and what should my Christian friends be doing? And that way you can kind of say, I talked to your pastor, and you're not doing what he said to do, right? And if, you're, if, you're, if you are a Christian here today, um, this, this is personal ministry is what discipleship is. And I love what Jeff Vanderstelt says. He says that every single Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, you're in full-time paid vocational ministry. It just depends on where God routes your check. So some of you guys, it's Starbucks. Some of you guys, it's the school district. Some of you guys, it's your parents. And you need to figure that one out. Um, but somewhere, God is routing a check to you. And so that's where we're going to look at, look at discipleship. Now, for me, when it comes to relationship, I had two friends in college. Both called themselves Christians. And one of them, I'm not going to use any names because I just don't want to dog this dude, but I'm going to dog him without using his name. And what he, he would always talk to us about how we need to get right with God. And yet, everything that we did, my friends, everything, he did it with us, probably better than we did. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You always talk to us about God. You always talk to us about getting right with God. But the only difference between you and I is that you don't get to sleep in on a Sunday. Like, that was it. So I never looked at this guy and said, oh, yeah, that's what my life would look like if I were a Christian because my life already looked like that. And then there was another guy, and his name was Ishmael, which is probably the most unlikely names for a Christian. <laughs> Some church people here. You guys know the story. <laughs> and so, so Ishmael and himself was just the godliest guy I knew. But if you saw him, you wouldn't have thought that. Ishmael was about 6'3", 2,000 pounds, and, and, he, and he had long dreads, and he just looked like, don't mess with that guy. And yet, so loving, so kind, he was, he, was, he was just godly. Before I even knew what godly was, I just knew Ishmael was godly. Ishmael would call us at 1 o'clock in the morning, hey, just letting you guys know if you need a ride home from the bars, the clubs, I'll come pick you guys up. He'd come pick us up. Uh, we'd always call Ishmael the guy who would be at the parties, and we'd know when, like, because he didn't, he didn't drink and he didn't engage. He was there to give us rides home, but we know he was there because he drank all the soda. Like, all the soda's gone. It's like, oh, Ish was like, hey, sorry, guys, I got to drink something, you know? And, uh, and he, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm here for you. But just, just a winsome guy. And here's the deal. I knew he was a Christian, and he never told me that. And, and, and I just want to hear, we do need to explicitly share the gospel, and we're going to get to that. But Ishmael never set me down, and he never shared the gospel with me, yet I knew without a doubt, man, this is a man of conviction. Because there is something that is uniquely different about him that I've never seen. And so I saw as a glimpse, as a, as a college student, that's what my life would look like if I were a Christian. Paul, Paul does the same thing for the Thessalonians. And so in chapter 1, he talks about what happened when he got to their city this major city, and how when he came there, he shared the gospel. And last week, Justin talked about how the gospel came in word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So God began to do things, and he began to rescue and redeem these people. And then Paul goes on to talk about what it was like, how he discipled them. And so when you jump in, looking at the message, the first part of when it comes to discipleship, Paul starts in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For you know yourselves, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so let me give you some context here. When Paul talks about that they were shamefully treated in Philippi, um, in Acts chapter 17 is when we hear about him getting to Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 16, we get an account where Paul and Silas, who were together writing this letter, were in Philippi sharing the gospel, and there's this, 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 this girl, she's a slave girl, and she makes her money, or she makes her owner's money, by being what we would call a modern-day psychic. 
And it says that she's following Paul and Silas around, and she's annoying Paul by saying, these men are here to tell you about salvation. And it says, which is kind of funny, Paul gets annoyed. He turns around, and he just casts the demon out of her. Like, stop it. Well, her owners are mad now because they can't make money. And so they beat up Paul, they beat up Silas, and they throw him in the prison. And yet, while they're in prison, they share the gospel with the prison guard. And then they're singing hymns, sharing the gospel, and then he becomes a Christian. And so when Paul says, listen, when it comes to the message of discipleship, it wasn't about us. Because if it were about us, after we were beat up, we would have never came to your city. If it would have been about us, we would have stayed in Philippi or going to another city that, that people wouldn't beat us up for what we believe. But there's something powerful about not the, the presenter and not the person, but there's something powerful about the gospel. And so when it comes to us discipling, and it, when I talk about discipleship, hear me now, I'm talking in the broadest sense. Be, being people who are better husbands and better, better dads, people who are better moms, better parents, better friends and neighbors. So when it's broadest sense, the main thing has to be the gospel. Paul goes on in, ver, uh, in verse two, he says, we were treated badly at Philippi, as you know, but we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. The main thing is the gospel. Now, there's a difference between good advice and the gospel. Most of us are used to giving good, good advice or receiving good advice, but the problem with good advice is it's mainly what you have to do. And, and if it works, then we'll call it good. And so essentially, it gives you things to do, but not anyone to submit to. The gospel in itself, it's good news and it should be good news. When it, when it comes to advice, it's about our works and our duties. Um, I, I, there's certain cultures that, that speak, you know, we have Christian languages that we use in certain cultures. So in the African-American church, the, the language was get right with God. I have to get right with God, and so I didn't go to church and need to get right with God. That, that's, that's not good news. If you come to church to get right with God, it just may not happen, because there's nothing that you can do to get right with God. It, good advice usually goes like this. We tell people, you should not cheat on your spouse. You should not cheat on your taxes. You, you should not do drugs. And those are, those are things you should not do. But if we're not careful when we disciple people, our, our family members, our children, our friends, ultimately what we can produce is just moralists. B because there could be people who don't smoke, people who don't do drugs, people who, who, who do well on their taxes, people who are good fathers, and yet they don't get the gospel that they don't get the transformation of what Jesus does through the power of the gospel, and that's not good news because it's completely up to you. But what, what we ought to do when we bring the gospel, the message of the gospel, is we, we should say you need not cheat on your taxes because you have a God who's given you all things in Christ Jesus. You, you, you need not have sex with your boyfriend because you have a God who has given you all comfort, and the scripture says that true pleasures are in his right hand. That's freely yours. You need not do certain things because God has given you all things. That the gospel in itself is, is, is history. It is an event. It's something that has happened. That God himself has come in our world to rescue and renew all of creation in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That, that's good news. And so when we, we go in to shepherd our, 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 our kids, we go to shepherd our spouses, our friends, when we're with them, it has to start with Jesus. It, 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 you can't begin to disciple at any level if you never talk about Jesus and what he has done. Paul says the, the boldness that we had, we, it started off with the message. It had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with the message. And he goes forward in verse three, and he says this. 
For our, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, what Paul is talking about here is that in that town they had false teachers, and these false teachers were using their words and they were using their teaching to trick people. So that word deceive there literally means to trick. They were, they were trying to trick them in order to gain something for them. Um, most time it was money. Um, sometimes it was just fame or honor. And Paul says, that's not what we did. That wasn't our motivation. We came with the gospel, which was, which our, which was our message, and then we came with the motivation. And then Paul begins to talk about what the motivation was not like. Verse 4, he says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul, Paul, Paul says this, after we had the message with you, our motivation, it wasn't to seek glory for you. Literally means to get honor from you, that you would like us. We, he, he goes after what I believe is a major idol amongst us as Christians and amongst people who don't even believe God. And it's the idol of human approval. But Paul says, we didn't come so that you would like us. And, and if we just had to be honest right now, this is huge for us. Huge. Because most of us, men and women, young and old, we find ourselves that the reason why we do what we do is so that people would like us, so we can gain the approval of people, or not lose it. And so we say the things we say, we live in the places we live, we do so many things, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad. I mean, when it comes to human approval, it, it will make you do stupid things, like stupid things. When I was in seventh grade, in my, my eyes, Krista Turner was the most beautiful girl in seventh grade, other than Topanga, but that was a whole different deal. And, <laughs> There, there, she, she, she was it. And I remember being in class, and there was this guy, Stephen, who I think she liked, and I, I figured there's a rivalry going on here. And she goes, oh, wow, Stephen, you smell good. He goes, oh, yeah, I got some cologne for Christmas. And I was thinking, cologne? That's what I need. And so I went home. I didn't own any cologne, and I didn't really know anything about cologne, but I had an older sister who had some perfume. <laughs> so you won't know the difference, right? And so I took it. Right, just put it all, and I got in the classroom, and, and I'm like, yeah, she's going to smell me. She has to smell me. I mean, I smell me. And, and she goes, oh, my goodness, does someone have perfume on? And I said, you know what, you come to think about it, it does smell like perfume in here. What, who, who is that? And so I just totally lied, like if it wasn't me, like, oh, I think it's Steven, actually. I think, yeah, he looks like someone that would wear perfume. And, and there's, there, there was a sense that I say that to just say how stupid we do things. But did you see what happened? One, I tried to do something to win this girl's attention, which I never got but whatever. And then, and then, after I realized that she didn't like that, I lied. Oh, yeah, somebody else has got that perfume there. And that, that's just a simple way, but, but we take that into bigger steps. When it comes to an, an idol of human approval, it's the reason why we hide. It's the reason why we lie. It, it's the reason why we don't want others to really know who we really are. And it, it's a sad case because as Christians, we, we, we don't know what it's like to confess sins to our brothers and to our sisters, and yet the way we became Christians was realizing that, that we're not that good and that, we do, that we're sinners. And yet for some reason, as Christians, we're afraid to say, yeah, and I failed again. And part of it is I don't want this guy to know this about me. I don't want her to know this about me because you're not serving a God who, who loves you infinitely. It's because you're serving a false God who says you need to do this in order to maintain it, in order to maintain this approval in order to have the, to this person want you, in order for your boss to like you, in order for your spouse to like you. And that Paul says that, that wasn't our motivation. You, you know, 
Sometimes when it comes to human approval, what makes it hard is it makes you good. But because you want to be seen as a good father, you just become the best dad you can be. Not, not, not in response to a holy God who has loved you and who is your father, but so that people would see you as being a godly dad. And we use it. We, be, we become really good people. We become really good employers and workers. We become really good at things because, because of what people would say. We want to be seen as good. And the motivation, the structure, it, it says God tests the hearts. But Paul says God is looking at our motivations. And, and I, honestly, I think every single Christian, right, we're in full-time ministry, know this. If you are a believer in Jesus, one day you will stand before God. And, God, and the, the Corinthians lets us know this, that God will look at our works that we did here, and it says that there will some will pass into glory, and there will be some that God's going to go, no, that was good, I blessed it, you, when you shared the, but you did that so that she would like you. You did that so that, that you wouldn't lose that, that person's approval. That, that wasn't done in the right motive. And it says that you and yourself, because you cannot lose salvation, you yourself will come in, but as one escaping the flames. Meaning you may get there that day, and, and, and there's nothing for you to bring. And this, that scares me, because I know more than anything, I speak from personal experience. This is something I, I, I struggle with. I, I remember the first Bible that I got, I wrote in the, the tag here, and I wrote, Lord, please let me not live for the approval of people. I hate it. And at the same time, I love it. Help me, amen, and I, amen, and I, and I date it. And I date it. And then, and then and there, there's, um, there's a Christian lady, uh, Beth Moore. I don't know if you guys know who that is. Um, some of you women do. My wife thinks I have a crush on Beth Moore, and it's not true. Beth Moore is like 60. Um, <laughs> but sometimes I like the reader because she gives me a feminine perspective. So there's, there's, she, 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 she says this, though. There's a, line that, there's a line that she has. I'm like, ah, oh, I like that. She goes, I need to be crucified with the criticism of men that I may not be inaugurated with their approval. Meaning I need, I need to be crucified with the criticism, bring it, so that I may not just be so welcomed by, by the flattery, I may not be welcomed by their words. And that's not to say you should never care about people, but Paul is just saying, I love you guys dearly. But the reason why I came to you, the reason why I discipled you, the motivation was not for those things. They're good things, but there's something bigger. And so how do we, how do we be people who, who don't fall into the trap of, of human approval? How do we repent? How do, how do we live lives? How do we become better dads and better moms and better citizens if it's not for approval? And Paul gives us a, exactly what we need in verse 4 here. He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God. He, that, that's it. If there's anything you get today, when it comes to the motivation or anything, just get this. He says, the reason why we were able to get beat up, drug out of a city and come is because we knew that we were approved by God. Like what mattered most is not that we were going to work for approval, but that we were going to work from approval. Because God in his infinite love for us made, made us right. It goes back to you can never get right with God. That's the very beginning of the gospel. There's nothing you can do to approve or to be appease, appeasable to a holy God. Yet, in his love for you, he makes you right with himself in Jesus. And so the approval that we have from God is completely from God. It's grace. It's a gift. One of the best ways to illustrate this was a church that I used to attend several years ago. The pastor was doing a series on parenting. And he finally got to the part of him, and his, him raising his kids and mainly his oldest daughter. And he brought her on stage, and his daughter was about 35 at the time. And they did kind of some Q&A back and forth. And his daughter began to talk about what it was like growing up being a pastor's kid and, and how she wanted to show out and grab attention and, and do crazy things. And she goes, I had to the point where I was abusing drugs, I was abusing alcohol, I was sleeping with guys, and it was just out of control. I ran away from home for a couple of years, and I came home, and then my dad accepted me. 
And then I ran away again, and my dad would let me come back. And finally, I was home, and I stole his car without him knowing, and I drove it, then I crashed it, and I thought, oh, no. And so I went in his office to tell him, and I thought, this is it. My, my dad is going to be heated. And I came in there, and I told him I crashed the car, and he goes, what he did was he pulled out a piece of paper, and he said, let me just write all the things that you've done to me. Right? Let me just write these things down. You've lied, you've cheated, you've used drugs in our house, you've used alcohol in our house, you've done this, you've done this, and you crashed my car. Like, you see all these things? You're a liar, you're a cheater, you're a fornicator. It just goes on. She goes, my dad just ripped me, and I'm sitting there going, man. And he goes, but, and then he pulls out another drawer, and he pulls out an eraser. And he says he spends like the next five minutes just erasing these, these things that he had wrote on this paper as much as he can to clear it, and he blew it off. And he goes, but I will never treat you that way. This is how I will treat you as if you were pure and as you were clean, because that's how much I love you. And she says, at that moment, it clicked for me. I realized I could never fail my dad. And and since I could never fail my dad, I wanted to live, I, I knew I had his love, I wanted to do whatever I could to please this man. And then he said, that's exactly what God has done for me. How could I not do that for you? Paul, Paul, Paul is communicating that same thing. I, I don't think it's ironic that um, Paul uses the word God nine times in, in these, nine, these uh, 12 verses. Um, when you read Pauline letters and epistles, what you see is he usually talks about the gospel of Christ. He usually talks about Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. But in this letter, he used God, and the Greek word for that is Theo, which is God the Father. And so when he says he's approved by God, Paul is saying, this is why I was able to do what I was able to do. It was not about my background. It wasn't about my pedigree. It had everything to do with not just who I am, but whose I am. There was a sense of I knew who I belonged to. I knew that I could never fail my father because he went at infinite cost to himself. He sent his son Jesus to reconcile me. And so I was entrusted with the gospel, not because I was someone who was trustworthy of the gospel. In fact, I was not someone who was trustworthy of the gospel, but God made me that way by his call. And so listen, you're not, you're, not, you're not called because you're qualified. You're qualified because you were called. You ever think about what that would look like if your life lived, if you lived out of confidence, if you worked not for approval but from approval? Just imagine what your daily life would look like if you realized you didn't have to win the approval of people, if you didn't have to fear man, you didn't have to make certain jokes or say certain things. You, you would be free, and that's exactly what the gospel does. It frees you to be who God's called you to be and who he's made you to be. And now once you realize that, that's your motivation to make disciples. That's your motivation to share the gospel. It's the same message that you share is the same thing that motivates you. Not so much who you are, but who you belong to. Amen? Paul, Paul lays out this, this, closes with talking about the motivation. And he says uh, in verse 4, We did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle. He's saying, we, we could have gotten money from you guys. We, we, we could have said some things, but we just, wanted, we, we, just, we just wanted to make sure that the main thing was the main thing, that the message was the gospel. The motivation came not with our ability at all. The motivation came with that God has called us to do this. And as every believer, God has called us to himself, and this, we just can't fail him. And then lastly, Paul gives us some, um, some so what's to it. He gives us the methods and so how to do this, discipleship in its broadest sense. Um, first thing he says in verse 7 and 8, He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And so Paul gives this picture of a, of a mother and, and of a child nursing. And, and I know you guys know what that picture is like, and I don't want to get too much into that picture, but there's a sense there where, where he's talking about care. What nursing mothers do, they want to care. 
I asked my wife if I can, if I can share this story. Um, it's a good thing my son's two and a half, but we, my wife has a, my wife and I, we have two boys. Um, I was there. And so there's, we have, we have two boys, and the littlest one is six months. And the oldest one is finally starting to like his brother and care for him and wants to feed him and spoon feed him. Well, when it's time to nurse, he just is so, it's, he's so intrigued by nursing. And, and it's just weird at all levels. And so there's a, there's a, there's a um, so that you guys don't know, there's a, there's a boppy pillow that women wear to hold the baby when they nurse him. Well, my son's watching this, and I don't know what's going on in his two-and-a-half-year-old mind, and he looks at that, he goes into the room, he finds my neck pillow from, from like, the airplane, and my wife's sitting over here on the couch, and then he sits down, he puts the, the neck pillow around his waist, and he goes, I feed Eli. <laughs> and then he lifts up his shirt, and I was like, oh, no, come here, let's go in the room and wrestle or something, right? <laughs> Man, hold up, you know? <laughs> but, but, but... <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, Paul, Paul gives a picture of care. A mother, a mother cares for her, for her children. And, and Paul says in the same way that when it comes to discipleship, the goal is not that just, hear me, the goal is not just people just get saved. You know, my, my buddy A.T., who's, a, who's not a Christian, we talk about the gospel all the time, and he taught me something that um, was amazing. I love it when you get convicted by people who don't even believe what you believe. And he said, you know, I feel like, Ricardo, every time you talk to me, you just want me to become a Christian. And sometimes I feel like if I were already a Christian that you would never even talk to me. And there, there was a sense there like, you really don't care about me. You just want me to just love Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I want him to love Jesus. But gosh, I care about him. But there was something I was communicating. I just wanted to win the arguments, and that, that's not what Paul was about. He, he says, he goes on and says, being so affectionately desirous of you, I mean, that, that, that's just not words that you share with people you just kind of don't know. That's saying we, we, you, we were, you became desires to us. We had affections for you. Like, we loved you. And we not only shared with you the gospel. We, we didn't just come and say, let's break, let's break bread and talk about the disciple, talk about gospel, and let's evangelize. He said it's more than evangelism. Here's, hear me. Discipleship is more than evangelism. Evangelism is the part of that, but it's more than that. Um, I, I'll never forget being in Comborca on my first mission trip. Um, and it changed my concept on evangelism. I was all about just sharing the gospel with as many people as possible and leaving, right? And there's moments for that. You're on an airplane, and someone's next to you. You share a gospel with them, and they go to whatever city they live in, and you never see them again. But discipleship is, is this first part, is it's life on life for life. We, we were in Caborca, and uh, at the time it was— um, there's people from like southern, southern America and Central America would come up during times to pick grapes or to pick asparagus. And so all these different tribes would come, tons of languages. And so we're a part of a team that we would go to these tribes and then find out which language. So we'd pay a, a piece of a tape in broken Spanish and they would, they would understand the Spanish and then be able to know what language, what dialect they were in. They'd point to their country. And then my job, because I didn't speak Spanish or anything else, so I was a runner. And so I'd run to the villages, find out, then I'd run back and get the tapes and come back. And it was so awesome seeing these people. Well, there was one guy there who had been a part of this trip the year before. He had um, received the gospel and become a Christian, and now he was back there, one of the indigenous people. And he said this to our leader. He says, we are like the eunuch. We need somebody to teach us. And, it, and if you don't know anything about the eunuch, there's a story in Acts. And the eunuch is there, and he's trying to read his Bible. And he totally believes in God. And he's sitting there, and Philip um, comes next to him. And he says, what does this mean? 
And Philip unpacks the scripture to him, and he goes back home to teach others. The reason why that, that had an impact on me is realizing we just can't drop the gospel and drop evangelism and then get out of the way. We, we have to be there. It's life on life for life, whether that's with your children, whether that's with your coworkers, whether that's with your friends, whether that's with your, your spouse. It's, it's, it's life on life for life. That, that doesn't mean you can never leave or you're the only person, but there's, there needs to be some intentionality there. And if I have to think of one person when I read this, my favorite verse in all of scripture is verse eight here. So being affectionate desires of you, you were ready to, we were ready to share the gospel, not only the gospel, but our whole lives, it says in NIV, because you had become very dear to us. One person in my entire life that I would say, when this first comes up, I'm like, I point to this guy, and it's my friend Tyler Johnson, without, without a doubt. And when I first met Tyler, I'd never read a Christian book. I knew, I had my Bible, that was it. And here's a guy who not only taught me theology and taught me the word, but I mean, he took me in. He took my girlfriend at the time, now my now wife. They just took us in and, lo- and loved us. And I, I would say, apart from Jesus and God, you know, all the church stuff, um, like this, this guy probably means more to me and my faith than, than anyone else. I love him. Now, having said that, if you ever see Tyler, never tell him that, right? <laughs> Paul, the, fir- the first point when it comes to the methods, it's life on life for life. Don't you share the gospel, please. You need to talk about Jesus, but then share your life. Now, after you've shared the gospel, now that's where that advice comes in. Maybe you shouldn't be doing drugs. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't cheat. No, you shouldn't do drugs. <laughs> you shouldn't teach on your taxes. Then you share your life with them. And, and what that means sharing your life is, don't talk from like you're a parent. Talk to them here. And so when you're in these relationships, it's okay to confess your sin. I think one of the best things that I can do with the guys that I disciple is, is not impart some wisdom, you know, all the wisdom that I have at 28. It's, it, that, that's, that's not it. It's to be able to say, I'm, with, I'm in here with you. The best definition of the discipleship that I heard, it's one beggar telling the other beggar where they can get bread. It's sharing your life. It's sharing your experiences. It's sharing your love for Jesus. It's sharing your home. It's making time for people in your redemption community. It's making time with the people you have at work. It may be as simple as, I'm not going to eat at this place. I'm going to intentionally eat with these people so I can get to know them and start a relationship with them. It's having, just being intentional about your life, being intentional with your wife, intentional, intentional with your husband, intentional with your children and your friends, just making time. We're all busy. I get it. We're busy people. But not just sharing the gospel, but sharing your life. Discipleship, life on life for life. Second part is, is discipleship is unto all of life. One of our values here at Redemption is that we, be, we don't believe in the secular sacred divide, meaning that there's some jobs that are spiritual and there's some jobs that are not. So me being the, the minister, that my job is better than you being whatever it is that you do, and that's, that's, that's not true. We believe that God gives us, as Christians, a priesthood of all believers, jobs, and he calls us into these jobs to be faithful. And this is what Paul says in verse nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now, Paul says we worked hard. And he's not saying we worked hard doing Bible studies. Paul got a job. It was known that Paul made tents. And in that time in major cities, tent making was popular because the clientele that you had were rich people. Because the people who needed to buy leather were people who traveled, and people who traveled that time had good jobs. And so Paul's saying, I didn't just get a good job to do ministry. I got a good job to get a good job. Like, it is totally okay. So many people uh, think that somehow there's special Christian jobs. I think that was the most disappointing things when I would talk to, when I was a student pastor, talk to our students, like, what is the most godliest thing you can do? And this is what they would say, three things. Become a pastor, be a missionary, and the third was become a worship leader. Uh, not that that's not godly. It is so godly. Um, 
But it was just like, that, that's the most, yeah, or a social worker or a teacher, a nurse, right? Something. And it's like, no, be a lawyer, be a plumber, work at McDonald's, whatever, cut my grass. Like what, whatever, whatever it is that you're going to do, just be faithful. Paul just, Paul, I think what Paul is doing here, because we're going to get to this later in the book, is that the, the, the people in Thessalonica, there were some people here that were just lazy. I think Paul's giving them an example of discipleship on how to work. Some of us in here need an example on how to work, how to show up on time, how to leave when not early, how not to check Facebook all the time when we're at work. Lord, I'm sorry. And they're just not, not, not to do that, just how to work hard. And in fact, later we're going to learn about how there was, in, in like any major city, there's rich people, there's poor people. Well, the poor people were not working and were living off the money of the rich people. I think what Paul's doing is saying, listen, I'm just going to be a normal dude and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be faithful with my job. That's it. And so when we say discipleship unto all of life, it's discipling, discipling people not just to know their Bibles, but to know their Bibles and be able to apply their Bibles in normal, everyday things, from recreation to family to work. And so just, just so you can know some names, if you're a guy here and saying, you know what, my family, I want to be a better spiritual leader. Because I've had guys tell me this, and I t- I'm so thankful. You guys talk about being spiritual leaders. I have no idea what that means, but I want to be one. Here's the name, Ryan Arneson. You take that little card you have in front of your seat and you contact, put on there, I need to see Ryan Arneson. If you're, if you're a dad here, if you're just a single dude, I just want to be a better dude and be a spiritual leader. There's your guy. If you're saying, I want to be better with my money, I want to learn how to work and how to be a better person in the marketplace, Jason Raber. That's your guy, Jason Raber. If you're saying recreation, I want to learn how to more, have more fun with the gospel, Ricardo, that's your guy. <laughs> we'll get that situated, right? Verse 10 to me is, is, is hard to teach to you because I'm going to say it, but I never want you to say this. Paul says this, you are our witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. It's inspired scriptures and Paul said it, but if I told you, you guys know me, you know how holy and blameless I am before you, like how arrogant would that sound? So there's got to be a better way to say this, but I think what Paul's communicating here is your conduct matters. How you act matters. So, so often when we talk about the gospel and how we can never fail our Father, we are proved that people can get the idea that it means we can just live any way we want because God's going to forgive us. And, and, and Paul says, no, when it, when it comes to you being a believer, you being someone who says you love Jesus, it matters. In fact, it won't do anything to separate your relationship with God because he's going to always love you, but it can do something to separate the relationship of others. One of my dearest friends to this day, remember the guy I was telling about earlier who would talk about us getting right with God? To this day, always brings that encounter up. Do you remember when we were in that car and he was listening to that gospel music and he turned around and told us we need to get right? Man, that still ticks me off to this day because that guy used to do this, this, and this, and this. Are you doing that? It's like, no, no, no. Not all the time right? And it, to this day, he goes, I'm, I'm just skeptical about Christians, man. Now, don't get me wrong. He, does, he didn't ruin it for this guy because God is sovereign and he's infinite and he's loving and he's holy and I believe that he will save my friend. I really do. But it, it mattered to him because his life was jacked up. P- P- whether we know it or not, people are looking at our lives and going, okay, that's what it would look like. And so your conduct does matter. And especially when Paul's talking about the marketplace, I think one of the best places for discipleship and to start relationship is at work. It's where you spend most of your time. But it's also the, 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 the best way to ruin it, too. It's the best way to ruin it. The, the best example I saw of this was 
this guy that was a teacher at my high school. I didn't know he was, I knew he was a Christian, but he had never told me he was a Christian. Um, the high school I was working at, and he just worked unto God's glory. He was so passionate about his job, and um, I, was, I remember monitoring the detention room, and all the kids in detention, you know, the fun bunch, and they were, they were, the seniors there were filling out, or juniors were filling out classes for next week, and these girls were there, and these girls were just bad girls. They were bad girls. And um, they were saying, oh, I think we're going to take Mr. Winnick's class because, you know, I heard it's really hard and no one gets an A in there, but, man, I heard he's just a really good teacher and he's really fun to be around. And I was like, yeah. They didn't, he didn't, they didn't get a chance to hear him talk about Jesus, but his conduct mattered. And every teacher there knew Eli is the guy who we go to. Eli is the guy in whom we'd go to because the dude, he, he's just on fire. And they, on fire, they didn't use it as Christian language. It's just the way he was passionate about his job. Because, and I would always ask him when, he, when I found out he was a Christian, like, why don't you become a pastor? He goes, oh, I am. I'm a pastor that teaches world history. And I love it. I like, all right, man. Praise him. So Paul lastly, unto life, all of life in the marketplace, life on life for life. And then lastly, Paul gives us a sense where, as a discipler, we'll close with this, you got to be a good coach. I know some of you guys don't, didn't play sports or whatnot, but what a coach simply does is a coach motivates, encourages, and comforts. That's what a coach does. And so Paul says this in, in verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each, each of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so essentially what, essentially what he's saying is there is a goal. Like, there is a goal. And when we disciple people, the goal is not our goal. The goal is not that they would become like us, but the goal is that they would be people in response to God's gospel and response to the love of God to be able to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so when he says encourage and also charge, there's kind of two aspects to that. Like a good coach. A good coach will comfort you when you've blown it, and a good coach will also encourage you, right? So a pat on the back and a kick in the butt. That's that some people need both. Sometimes people, when they fail, they don't, you don't, they don't need you to say, oh yeah, you failed. It's like, yeah, I know I failed. That's what I just told you. Some people just need you to sit with them and pray with them. Other times they need you to counsel them. They need you to go back to God's word and be able to lead them. And so you, you encourage them ultimately that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And when Paul says that, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, hear me. He's not saying, and if you don't walk in that manner, you're not worthy of the Lord. Because the next verse, or excuse me, the next section of that, that he, as he closes in verse 12, he says, worthy of God, who calls you? So God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so now he talks about the kingdom and talking when God comes and when he restores all things. And that word calls, so how do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? That word calls that Paul used that is not the past tense that he normally used. Referring back to when you became a Christian, but that word calls has the idea of the ongoing effectual call of the gospel. And so the way that we walk in a manner worthy of God, again, is up to God and how he works through us. Our part is just to respond. The, the, the way that we walk in a manner worthy of God is completely dependent upon God, not our actions. And in our response and our love to God shows that we walk in our conduct and our matter. So at the end of the day, we are all, as Christians, called to disciple. We are called to disciple our kids, our spouses, our neighbors, people in our redemption community, and we are to be faithful. The message is always the gospel, not good advice, but the gospel, the good news. The motivation is that you are approved by God, and so you don't work for approval. You work from approval. And then the method is life on life for life. You make time for people. You don't just share the gospel, but you share your life. It's unto all of life, but you think about how to encourage people with your own life as you follow Jesus to help them follow Jesus in the marketplace, in the home, and in the park. All of life. And then lastly, some people need you to just point them to Jesus explicitly, and you can't be ashamed of it. And then some people just need you to weep with those who weep and pray for them.
Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this is my favorite time of a Sunday, Lord, is when we get to hear your word and then come to your table. God, we, we confess that we, as a, as a body, Lord, and as people here, Lord, um, find ourselves, Lord, doing things for the, for the sake of other people. Not doing things for the sake of being, losing friendships or losing relationships, Lord. And yet, Father, we know that if Jesus is the most important thing to us, Lord, that we would talk about him. And yet we would realize we would never have to hide behind what we know or what we don't know, Lord, but our ability is not the question, Lord. We have the ability because you've given us the Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, through discipling one another, Lord, that we would be able to become people who are better disciplers and then people who also can follow well. And so, God, I pray that, that by your Holy Spirit that you would stir up our affections first and foremost, Lord, that we would see that we are children called by you and approved by you, that we cannot fail you. And as we come to the table, Lord, we can confess the areas of which we have sinned against you and that we are reminded, Lord, by the work of your son, Jesus, that we are already forgiven, that we are already healed, that we are already cleansed. So, Father, with that, Lord, we are thankful. And, God, I pray for those who are here, Lord, who, who are not yet Christian, that they would be able to see because of our example as a body they would see what their lives would look like collectively if they walked with Jesus. And Lord, that we would be a church that would example and be a display of the character of who you are in light of your coming Jesus. That we would live knowing that you were coming to establish your reign fully on this earth. And that men and women that do not know you will come to, to know your name. But God, I pray that you would do that in our midst tonight. As we worship you and as we sing into your name, that you would get the honor and you'd get the glory. God, we thank you for the great call of the gospel in which you freed us. God, help us to live in freedom until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.